0: You know, it is, it is amazing how quickly we are expected to make the transition out of what is sometimes a slowed down summer period uh, into what is typically a very frenetic pace in the fall, right? We just have a lot going on. Schedules gear up very quickly. You know, you've got sports schedules and school schedules and work schedules, all of these things competing for our time. And sometimes our life kind of feels like that video. There's just so much going on. How can I keep up? and that 's really the point of this two week series is that we want to help you last week we wanted to help you gear down and now we want you to we want to help you gear up in a healthy way to be prepared for some of the expectations that'll be thrown your way this fall you know the biggest challenge in making the choice to live a life differently um, live in a different way that's going to result in a healthier approach is that there are expectations coming at us from everywhere there's tons of expectations right they come at us from every corner so you have expectations from your boss. You have expectations from your spouse. You have expectations from your kids. Or if you are a kid and you're here this morning, you have expectations from your parents. You all have expectations from your family, from your neighbors, from your schools, from maybe your school district. I know for us, we've got two kids in school now for the first time this year, and it's definitely twice as much stuff (laughs) that's going on, things that we have to get ready and make sure they're prepared for. Uh, You might have expectations from friends. You may even feel like you have a lot of expectations here from your church. There's a lot of expectations that are all vying for our attention, and sometimes we might feel pulled in every direction by those expectations. Have you ever felt like at precisely the moment that you complete an expectation for one person, you have failed two other people that were expecting something from you as well? Like, I've definitely been there. I I feel like I am there right now in some ways. Like you're working on trying to fulfill the expectations of so many people that you think, well, I just got to decide which person's expectation I'm going to fill today and let the other ones go. Sometimes you get there, but that's not where God wants you. That's not where God wants me to live. He wants us to learn a healthier, healthier approach to expectations. But first we kind of have to figure out how healthy we are. Like what is our approach to expectations right now? So I've got a great litmus test for you for figuring out if you are living under healthy expectations or not. It's very simple. It's to regularly ask yourself this question. Is what I am doing life-giving or is it life-draining? The things that I'm spending my time doing, are they life-giving or are they life-draining? So take some time just right now to consider what a typical day looks like for you. And in the course of a regular day, Would you say that you spend most of your days engaged in activities that give you life? Or do you spend most of your time in your days engaged in activities that drain the life out of you? Your answer to this question will help you gauge how healthy you are when it comes to this area of expectations. Now, I'm not suggesting that every moment of every day you're going to be able to engage in life-giving activity. You can't just choose to participate in only the life-giving things. There's work that we all have to do. There's things that we have to do that we just don't love to do. I, I like to call them dirty jobs. We all have dirty jobs, and we have to do them. I mean, call me crazy, but I can't find a way to take, like, taking out the garbage and make that inspirational for me. <laughs> like, I don't feel like that's life-giving, and I probably never will. There's, there's dirty jobs that we just have to do. There's things that we do that just can't be infused with joy, right? We went on a wilderness trip not long ago with our high school students. We took a group of 16 And there were two guys from the organization that we went with that were our trip guides for the week. And while we were on the trip, we had something called a biff bag. Now, a biff bag to you, like, oh, a biff bag, like, that probably has no meaning to you. Well, to anybody that went on that wilderness trip, and there is a row of guys here in the back, you can talk to them about the biff bag later if you would like to. The biff bag is actually a bathroom in forest bag. (laughs) And the containments of this bag are a small spade to shovel with, a roll of toilet paper, a plastic bag wrapped in duct tape. I'll let you guys figure out what those pieces are used for. But the Biff bag was a necessary but not fun component of a wilderness trip. And the rule was whoever last used the Biff bag had to carry the Biff bag. So nobody wanted the Biff bag, right? But without the Biff bag, we would have had a lot of unhappy campers for sure. So the biff bag was a necessary thing, but I started thinking about that biff bag and I was thinking about dirty jobs, the dirty jobs that you know some people have to do. And you guys have probably heard of that show, Dirty Jobs. This guy Mike Rowe hosts this show, Dirty Jobs. Well, I've never actually watched it. I'm very intrigued by it. I don't know why I've never watched it, but in working on this message, I thought, well, I'm gonna look up what some of the dirty jobs are that they've covered. Listen to the list. A bat cave scavenger. I don't know what that guy does. This is worse. A worm dung farmer. A sludge cleaner, a hoof cleaner, a poo pot maker, a dairy cow midwife, yikes, a turkey inseminator, and a maggot farmer. Now, those are not great jobs, right? Now, why would I share those with you? Well, it's so that we can all just whisper a quick prayer of thanksgiving that those are not the dirty jobs that we have to fill each day, right? It kind of makes taking out the garbage less dirty. You know, there's life outside of these jobs though, the things that we have to do that we don't enjoy doing and the life outside of these jobs, it needs to be filled with stuff that helps us regularly engage in activities that give us life, that bring us joy. I mean, do you regularly engage in activities like that? Or by the end of the day, do you just feel drained? feel like you have nothing left to give right now. We have three kids and we have a fourth on the way, uh, coming up in October. And, uh, yeah, there's never applause once you get to four kids. I could have been like, hey, we're having our first child, and everybody like, oh, that's wonderful. We're so happy. (laughs) I say we have four, and everybody's like, oh. (laughs) So was that a mistake, or? But there are days... Most days right now for my wife where she gets to the end of the day and she just feels drained. There's times that she gets to lunchtime and she feels drained, right? There's times there's periods like that, like that for all of us. But the question is, if that is a continuing pattern in your life, that you feel like you just can't ever be filled, you're always drained, then I think that chances are pretty good you are suffering from a severe lack of life-giving activity in your life. Now, if that is you, I'm excited for you. That probably sounds weird, right? I'm not excited for you because of where you are at right now. My, my heart goes out to you, if that's you, that you're just feeling drained at the, at the end of every day. But the reason I'm excited for you is I believe that God planned out your month. He planned out your week. He planned out your day today in order to have you seated here in this moment to hear his word for you. See, God wants to help you take a first step this morning towards a healthier approach to expectations. So let's get into it. So there's this guy named Jesus. You've probably heard of him. Jesus was a master of making choices that led to life filling instead of life draining. He knew what he was crafted by the Father to do, and he also knew what things were not on his responsibility list on the days he was here on this earth. And I think that if we ask him to, he can give us some inspiration this morning in what our expectations should look like and how we should live according to expectations that he has for us. So In order to do that, let's just talk to him real quick and invite him to be here with us this morning. Jesus, I love you, and I thank you that your capacity is way beyond what my capacity is to handle. So, Lord, this morning, if there is anybody in this room that is just regularly feeling drained by life, I pray this morning that they would learn to receive your love in a new and a unique way, uh, and that they would be energized to go out and find ways to participate in life-giving activity with you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at two passages of Scripture this morning that give us some insight into how we should gear up for fall by clarifying what God expects of us. Not what everybody else expects of us, not all the other expectations that ran through your mind just a moment ago, but what does God expect from you this fall? And it's pretty simple. First of all, God expects us to love well. He expects us to love well, and that's your first blank this morning. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You know, Jesus was asked a lot of questions all the time because he was a rabbi, and he was expected to have all of the answers, especially about God. And on this occasion, he was asked of all the commandments, what's the greatest one? Basically, the guy was saying to Jesus, if you could sum up the entire Old Testament in one sentence, what would it be? And so Jesus replies with what we just read, that you should love God with everything you've got, and you should love your neighbor the way you love yourself. All of the expectations of God are built on these two commands. All choices in life should be considered in light of these two things. You cannot waste your life if you're living a life of loving God and loving other people. So God's goal for us, his expectation for us, is designed for us, is that we love well. We live a life of love. Now, what does living or loving well look like? Have you ever considered that your emotional and spiritual health might have something to do with how well you are able to give and receive love from others? I definitely think there's a direct correlation there. So this morning, in your program guide, we've included a link to a personal assessment tool from the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. So go ahead and see if you can find that link there in your program guide. What I would encourage you to do is sometime later today to take this assessment and kind of gauge where you are at when it comes to your emotional age. When you take the survey, you'll get to the end of it, and it will, it will give you a, uh, a result. and it will tell you whether you are an emotional infant, a child, an adolescent, or an adult. So I actually took this recently, and I was not super surprised, but maybe a little bit surprised that I, I qualified as an adolescent. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. I think I made it out of my teenage years long, long ago. Some would say that being a youth pastor is what keeps me in adolescence. I'm not sure. But yeah, I saw those results and it kind of was like at first like, oh, I, I thought I had some like pretty healthy habits when it comes to my relationship with God. But what I figured out or what I think I figured out is that for all of us at different times in our journey and different phases of our lives, we may kind of move back and forth between several of these areas. That there might be times where I'm like, yeah, I am, I've got well-formed maturity when it comes to my relationship with God and my emotional health. And so I'm an adult in this phase right now. But then there might be other times where like, man, life just gets difficult. And my level of connection with God starts to wane a little bit. And I might go and take that assessment and find out, no, I'm actually in adolescent phase right now. Or maybe I'm all the way back to infant. And there is some back and forth there that you kind of move up and down. So the reason I mention that is I want to make sure you understand that as you take that assessment tool, don't look at that as a test that you are getting graded on, because that's not what it is. Your result at the end is not your grade. Really, what that test is, is it's a roadmap. So when you get to the end of it and it tells you, hey, you are in adolescence, that then helps me to see, okay, here is where I am at on that map. And here is where I would like to be. I'd like to have well-formed maturity. I'd like to be an emotional adult. And so then I can take steps to help me get from adolescence to adulthood. So wherever you land on that, don't feel like that's like an indictment against you. <laughs> you know, you feel frustrated because of your, your ranking on that list. That's not what it is at all. But look at it as a roadmap that can help you learn where you need to go next in your journey with God. So God has a plan to move you forward through emotional infancy, into childhood, through adolescence, and into full maturity in your emotional and spiritual health. Uh, God has designed you to be somebody that loves God deeply and loves those around you genuinely as well. And that's the next step, isn't it, loving others well? I mean, when we do like an assessment tool like this, it almost seems like a little bit too self-focused, right? Well, isn't love supposed to not just be about what I receive, but it's also supposed to be about what I give too? Well, yes, that's true. But I want to make sure we don't lose sight of something here. This is a good and valid question, this question of like, oh, well, if I just focus on me and my love relationship with God, isn't that a little bit self-centered? Well, one of the perks of my job is that usually at least once a year I get to fly somewhere. (laughs) So like next summer I'll get the chance to go to Life Conference and we'll fly to Life Conference. And uh, I've had a chance a few times to go to this conference uh, with some other youth pastors. It's like a Christian and Missionary Alliance thing. And so I've had the chance to fly to those events. And I just really enjoy flying. So to me, that's a benefit. For some of you in this room, you're like, flying is not a benefit. Like I don't ever want to get onto a plane. That is not a benefit of your job but I love it. I, it's it's enjoyable for me. And so because I fly somewhat regularly, I'm sure there's a lot, there, maybe not a lot, but I'm sure there's people in this room that fly way more often than I do. But for me, I feel like that's regularly, maybe like once or twice a year. I feel like I have a pretty good uh, understanding of what happens when you fly, like the different parts of when you fly. And so I've kind of figured it out here that... If I get—I've got a bag that is the perfect size carry-on, and I can pack for anywhere up to five days in that one carry-on so they don't have to check any luggage. And so I always have the bag the exact right size. And when it comes to the toiletries, everything's like three ounces or smaller, and I put them all inside the quart plastic bag so that can stay my carry-on too. I always take an empty water bottle with me so that when I get into the airport, like once I've gone through security, I can fill up my water bottle, and then I've got water for on the plane. So I'm pretty, pretty well practiced at this, right? And so when I get on the plane and they start to go through those safety announcements, I just kind of like tune them out, right? But for any of you that have flown, you know that one of the things they talk about during those safety announcements is they talk about in the event that the cabin loses air pressure, what's going to happen? Oxygen masks are going to fall from the ceiling, right? And then I would love it if one of them was more realistic sometime, like the oxygen mask is going to fall. You're all going to start screaming, but I guess they can't really say that. That's why I can't be a flight attendant, I suppose. (laughs) I would give them the realistic version of what will happen if those oxygen masks drop. But what's the next thing that they say? Once they say the oxygen masks are going to drop, they'll say, okay, anybody that's an adult, what are you going to do? You're not going to put it on the children first. You have not flown often enough if you just said, (laughs) yeah, she's like, no, take, take care of those kids. Even if you die, you take care of those kids. But that's like our instinct, right, as parents or as somebody that's just caring for the need of another person is that in 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 regular everyday life, we often think I'm going to meet the need of that other person, even if it means the expense of my own personal health. Right. But the people on the plane are telling us, hey, don't worry about their needs first. Worry about you first. Get that oxygen mask on yourself so that you can get that life giving oxygen going to you then you can help all of the people around you to get their oxygen masks on as well. But it does feel a little bit counterintuitive, right? Like our normal pattern is, I want to meet the needs of the people around me before I start worrying about me and my love relationship with God. But that's really not the way it works when it comes to our relationship with God. What God says is similar to what the flight attendants are telling us. We need to first get ourselves right with him. We need to experience love in a genuine way with him. We need to develop intimacy with him in order to really share his love with the people around us. So instead of rushing to meet the needs of everybody else, maybe during this frenzied pace, you need to take time to say, God, I just need to breathe you in for a little bit. I need to slow life down for a minute, and I just need to breathe you in before I can meet the needs of anybody else around me, and certainly before I can show genuine love to anybody around me. You know, As we continue to grow in his love, as we develop these spiritual rhythms that feed on the unconditional love of God, and we do that daily, weekly, monthly, as that continues on, what starts to happen is we grow in his love because we're consistently connected to our sole source of life-giving oxygen, and that is God's love. So as we learn to be loved well by him, to give love to him, then we can learn how to love others in a way that feels genuine. So let me wrap up this first point by reading Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. These verses sum up for us God's expectation for us to learn to love well. So go ahead and follow along in your program guide as I read this. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. And here's a really important part. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So not only are we instructed to receive love, but we see in this passage that, yes, we're instructed excuse me to give it away as well. So number two, God expects us to live well. God expects us to live well. There's a passage of Scripture in Matthew 28 that's often referred to as the Great Commission, meaning Jesus was talking to us, to his followers, and saying, this is what I want you to go out and do. And he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the setting here is that Jesus said these words to his followers after he had died and he had rose again, and now he was getting ready to ascend into heaven sometimes we lose sight of how incredible that is, right? <laughs> like we've heard the story so many times that like Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven. Like we act like, oh, that's just kind of like a normal everyday thing, right? Like if one of us around here would die, raise again, and then we'd just be like, oh yeah, the next thing is he ascends to heaven. <laughs> we've seen this before. Like, no, <laughs> that's pretty incredible, pretty amazing that that's what was happening in this moment. And the reason I mention that is that his followers were there. I'm sure it Expecting the miraculous, expecting something incredible to happen, thinking, what is Jesus going to do next? And his instruction was was to them not to say, hey, wait to see what I'm going to do. But it was actually to say, you go. You go and make disciples of all the nations. You baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You teach them to obey all of the commands I have given you. But then he does assure them of this, that he is with them always, even to the end of the age. So take everything I have built into you. This is what Jesus is saying. Take everything I've built into you and now build into other people. Find a way to make disciples because that's really what making disciples is, is take what's been built into us and build it into them as well. Take what God has invested in you and invested in the lives of others around you so that they can know God and learn how to love him well and also to live well amidst all of the conflicting expectations around them too. You know, sometimes we do, we, we, talk, we started off today talking about how sometimes it feels a little bit selfish to say, well, I got to concentrate on allowing God to love me and experiencing his love in a, in a new and a unique way. Uh, there is a time where we do, we are expected to move on from that. Like there is a time where we can't get to that place where we've become too selfish with just enjoying reveling in his love, where we are not sharing his love with the people around us. Sometimes we can sit there with that oxygen mask on breathing deeply in his love. And he's saying to us, well, now there's other people seated around you that you need to help, but you just kind of stay in that moment and keep the mask on. Like, no, I just want to enjoy you a little bit longer. Jesus, he might be challenging you that way today. He might be saying, I need you to stand up now and go meet the needs of the people around you. I need to show my love to them and you are my tool to do it. So God's expectation is that we invest our lives in what is eternal and what is eternal, the lives of other people. We need to point them to the Master with our life, with our actions, with the way that we love, with all of our time, all of our resources. Now, I have been blessed. I mean, I feel like it's, it's unfair in some ways how much I've been blessed with people that have just invested in me over the years. Uh, and this not only with you know, my uh, career in ministry, like in, in being a pastor and a youth pastor, but just in general, personally, I've had so many people invest in me. Uh, they've taken their time to invest their time in me. Uh, they've given me resources and they've walked with me through some of life's most difficult circumstances. I mean, have you ever had people in your life like that? That they seem to just have that deep level of connection with God, that they love him genuinely and they choose to love you in the same way? You know, maybe it was just as simple as they took time to go out and have a cup of coffee with you and talk with you about how life is going. Or maybe it was as deep as they served as a mentor for you over a long period of your life. I have a, uh, my pastor back home, uh, in Maryland is where I grew up in Bowie, Maryland. Uh, my church back home, uh, the guy that is the pastor at, was the pastor at the time I was there is still the pastor there. His name is Pastor Mark, and he's somebody that I, I met him when I was in ninth grade. He came to be the pastor of our church when I was in ninth grade, and I have to confess to you that like. At, Me, at ninth grade, not a lot of people were really interested in spending a whole lot of time with me, right? It was it was a tough phase of life for me when I was in ninth grade. That's probably part of what inspires me to do what I do, is is that I'm thinking, well, who are the ninth graders that are like me, (laughs) that needs somebody to invest in them, like help them get on a good and a healthy path? But that was me at that time period of my life. And yet my pastor, Pastor Mark, said, like, this is a guy that I'm going to invest in. And even still today, I meet with him every other month. I drive down to Maryland, and we sit together in his office for an hour, and he encourages me, he challenges me, he pours his life into me. And was that a choice that he made just because, oh, this would be kind of a fun thing to do? No, like he looked at me and saw me as a young person in need of God's love, and he wanted to share God's love with me. Uh, Another example of this for me is actually some people that are on staff here at Daybreak with me, uh, Pastor Rick and Pastor Joel. I'm sure that a lot of you guys know them. Um maybe you don't, but uh, uh, this could come across I guess a little bit as disingenuous because I'm like up here preaching and I'm talking about my bosses. <laughs> like they invest in me. So like maybe they'll listen to this message later and give me a raise, right? Like I assure you that that is not what's going on here because I've tried that and <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get any more cash the next paycheck. So now, I, at the time that I started attending daybreak, my wife and I actually weren 't married when we started attending the daybreak. We were just dating at the time, but I had been at a church uh, for three years as youth pastor there I was a full time youth pastor, and the youth ministry was really growing was really really happening um, but man it was it was such a dry place for me spiritually. I did not have a good relationship with my my senior pastor, and I was just drying up it was It was brutal in a lot of ways so it was, it was very hard to see a student ministry that was growing and thriving and yet know that on the interior, I was just hurting. And so finally, I came to the point where I, I resigned my position at the church. And at that time, we then started searching, looking for a place to call home. And when we arrived at Daybreak, this was back in 2002, we came in the doors and we you know we sat in church, like maybe there's some of you that are here for the first time this morning, And we were struck by how genuine the atmosphere was. We enjoyed the fact that we could come in and be comfortable just as we were. But for me, the thing that I was praying for is I was asking God, God, I need a pastor that I can just sit under for a little while that is going to make me feel good about who I am. That's just going to embrace me and pull me under his wing and walk forward with me through this season of life. And so we attended a few churches within the span of a, a couple of months. But the thing that I felt like I experienced when I was at daybreak was, that Pastor Joel was somebody that I could connect with, and I thought that he might be able to walk through this season with me. And thankfully, he was. In those early days of our involvement at Daybreak, he was very consistent with Laurie and I. And even in the um, shortly before we got to Daybreak, we had actually become engaged. So it wasn't long into our time at Daybreak that we got married, and Pastor Joel uh, did the wedding ceremony for us. But I, I think often about those first like two to three years at Daybreak, and how instrumental my relationship with Pastor Joel was in order for me to continue on in my development um, and for me to heal from what I had experienced in my previous position. So that's one of the people, too, that I think, man, the investment he has made in me was life-changing. And as as time continued to pass, and I went from just attender to member to volunteer to eventually coming on staff in a few different Part-time, part-time roles, and then eventually came on staff at daybreak. Throughout that experience and that journey, Pastor Rick was somebody that was just such an encouragement to me all of the time and always telling me the value he saw in me, the gifts he saw in me, and the contribution that I could make to the kingdom of God. And that was something that I needed, and I still continue to need in our working with each other. He's now my direct supervisor, and he's really the best kind of supervisor to have because he's one that supports me. Uh, He believes in me, He continues to invest in me. And so when I think about Pastor Mark, and I think about Pastor Joel, and I think about Pastor Rick, I actually think my life would have a very, very different course right now had it not been for the investment of these three people. And there are people in your life like this as well. I'm sure there are. I hope and my prayer is that there are. But maybe now is the opportunity for you to be that person for somebody else. Maybe now is the day that you need to consider, okay, what would it look like for me to invest in somebody around me to live well in such a genuine way that it would actually have impact on somebody else? Who in your life is God asking you to love this way? Who are the people that you can show love to the way that you have received it? And maybe even for you, the, the way that you are going to show that is the love that you receive from God. Like maybe it's just the love that you've received from God is the thing that you need to f- channel on to them that maybe you haven't had that person investing in you lately, but you just know that God has given you that opportunity to invest in somebody else. Or maybe you just need to receive the gift of his love this morning and kind of breathe deep, experience that in a new way before you can even begin caring for the needs of the people around you. I want to read to you um, a portion of a devotional that we actually borrowed this thought of the, the plain metaphor from. This is from a devotional called Hidden in Christ. Maybe some of you guys have read it. I think we had it available in our, uh, like as a resource at daybreak for a little while. But it continues this thought that we've been talking about of loving well, receiving God's love, but then also giving it away. It says this, Jesus' response has a clear order. First, love God. Second, love your neighbor. The order is important because the love we extend to our neighbor is the same love that we receive from God. If we aren't in a deep, intimate, loving relationship with God, we will not be able to extend genuine Christian love to anybody else. Just as parents need to have their own oxygen mask secure and working before helping their child, so we must first breathe the pure air of the kingdom of God before we can lead others into it. We can only love others genuinely when we make it our primary aim to integrate our little kingdoms and queendoms with the kingdom of God. For it is there that we experience authentic, unconditional, and eternal love. That's why Jesus tells us elsewhere, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's Matthew six thirty-three. So let's go back to the plane for a moment. Let's imagine that as a metaphor for our lives right now. Maybe you just need to get the mask on this morning. <laughs> Maybe you just need to receive God's love for a little while. The mandate for you this morning is not to say, get that mask on and start helping other people. But God's just saying to you, sit still, breathe deep, breathe in my love for you. Maybe that's where you are this morning, is that you just need to get the mask on and you need to breathe deep of his love. But you also might be in that plane. You've got the oxygen mask secured. But like I said earlier, you're sitting there and just enjoying the oxygen mask. You're 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 experiencing God's love in a genuine way. But you haven't yet taken that step of saying, I'm going to give God's love away too. Well, God might be bringing to mind for you right now people that you could invest that time and that energy in. There might be a person that you are a friend of uh, that is a family member of yours that you need to invest that love in. But it's also possible that you don't have somebody that comes to mind. And if you don't have a person that comes to mind, let me encourage you that maybe one of the ministries here at Daybreak should come to mind for you. There's just incredible opportunities in every ministry area at daybreak for you to go and be a filter of God's love to somebody else. That could be in the All-Stars ministry, that could be in the women's ministry, that could be in in the student ministry. There's so many opportunities for you at daybreak to go and get that mask on, but then start going helping the people around you. I would encourage you that maybe that's where you need to be this morning. Or the third possibility is that you would say, hey, I've got the mask on, I'm receiving God's love, and I'm also giving God's love to people around me. Well, I just want to encourage you this morning. Thank you for loving well and living well. Those are the expectations that God has for you. So if in this fall season you start to feel the heaviness of other expectations of people around you, don't worry about those expectations. Worry only about the expectation that you have to love well and to live well. And any other expectations that are necessary for you to do will fall within those categories as well, that you would love well and live well. So let's choose God's expectations to be our rule of life this fall. God's expectations for us as we gear up are to love well and to live well. God is for us. He longs to empower us to love and live in a way that brings a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven to the people uh, here on earth. God's word reminds us in Micah 6.8 that God has made his expectations clear. I'm going to read this first in the NIV, and then we're also going to read the message paraphrase of it. But in the NIV, it says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To love and to live well. The reason I really wanted to include the NIV version here is that it uses that word require. Because a lot of people use that word to us, don't they? This this is required of you. I need this from you. This is required of you. These expectations are required. But what God says is, no, all those other expectations aren't what's required. What is required is for you to love well and live well. So operate first from that place. But then the message paraphrase, I feel like, has just such a plain English, like, comfortable way to say this that I think it's a good thing for us to kind of send you home with this thought is that he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what's fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate. Be loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously, but take God seriously. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you. And I confess, God, that there are times that I get up here to speak and I feel like I'm the expert. And I'm so thankful that this is a morning where I do not feel like the expert. I need to experience your love in an intimate way every day. And there are days that I neglect you. There are days that I I don't spend that time with you. There are times that I try to meet every single other person's need around me without ever asking for your love to be infused in me. So, Lord, this is a lesson that we all learn together here today. Help us to learn to love you. Help us to find intimacy in our relationship with you first. God, once we've put that oxygen mask on and we are breathing deep your love, when we are in that place, then and only then, give us the opportunity to breathe love into the lives of the people around us, that we would, in fact, be that glimpse of the kingdom of heaven to the people around us that need to experience you in a new in a genuine way. We love you, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.